This is Poured Over, a show about stories presented by the booksellers of Barnes & Noble. I'm Mewa Messer. I'm the producer and host of Poured Over, and Asali Angel Ajani has done a very cool thing, this debut novel, second book, and we'll talk about the first book a little bit probably, but second book, first novel called A Country You Can Leave. And Asali, I'm going to ask you to set up this because, I mean, technically it's a debut novel. Yeah, second book, but it's wildly different from your first book. So would you set it up for listeners, please? Sure. Um, I wrote this book when I was living in, started writing this book when I was living in Hong Kong. So for me, it was, um, I was homesick. So I wanted, um, I'd been living in Hong Kong for almost a decade and um, was sort of missing, believe it or not, life that I previously had experienced um, and which took place in the California desert. And so I started writing and this Mm -hmm. is a book that is, um, it's a story of what I like to call an unconventional love story between a mother and a daughter. Um, Probably if we had to count it up in marriage terms, for example, like you're with your partner for like, you know, 12, 13 years, you don't really understand each other. You don't even know if you really like each other, but somehow there's love there. And that's how I kind of see the the two of them. They are, Evgenia is a, an accidental defector from the Soviet Union. This takes place in the early aughts. She is sort of brought into the sort of white racial frame in the United States. And she has this black biracial daughter who who is um, Afro-Cuban and half Russian, they don't know how to connect. Um, the mother is um, has very strong opinions about very specific things, but not very conventional when it comes to being a mother. So not necessarily maternal. They have more of a kind of frenemy kind of relationship, maybe. But there's a lot of love there. And it's also broadly about this, what I like to call a fugitive community um, in in California, in this town that is unnamed, but we all know it's sort of Inland Empire-esque. It's really about this community of, of people who are living their lives on the edge, you know, trying to make their way through, uh, you know, gentrification, poor paying jobs, um, and joy, trying to find their way to joy. So... I think that's, I'll stop there. <laughs> no, but here's the thing. When I saw the copy for the book and I was like, wait a minute, we're going to the desert. And I spend a fair amount of time in and around the California desert. So I know exactly where this book is set and the kind of community that it's set in. And I have to say, when you dropped a biracial kid and her immigrant mother into this particular community, I was like, okay, okay. This is interesting. I was not expecting this. And then you kick us back 20 years, which I loved because it takes out the internet and it takes out, I mean, a couple of adults have cell phones, but barely. I mean, we're really in this world with these people. And it's a little relentless. It's a little ruthless. It is... You can feel the heat. You can feel the desert heat as you're reading, which is no small thing. And here now you're telling me you were in Hong Kong when you started it. Mm-hmm. What took you to Hong Kong? It was a family move. And then we sort of ended up staying. And mm-hmm. okay. um, yeah, and it was great. Love, I loved it. Um, miss it 
every day. But in terms of thinking about um, wanting to see aspects of your life represented day to day, it was just, it was, it, I never, I didn't actually think I was going to publish this. Okay. So I, I was just sort of writing for me and, mm-hmm. um, and then it sort of just took over my life. Um, yeah. And, and then I was teaching in Hong Kong. I was teaching in a creative writing program there and learned so much about, learned so much about how the world is shaped from a place that often does not get recognized in, in geopolitics. Right. So that also helped me in terms of thinking about this small place that doesn't get recognized in this state of California. Right. And now of course I have like nothing but longing. Now that I'm in New York, I have nothing but longing for Hong Kong. So anyway. Yeah, I haven't been to Hong Kong in a million years, but also just thinking about the climate and thinking about the energy of, I you couldn't find two more disparate places on the planet, really, than the Inland Empire and Hong Kong. <laughs> like, it's just, it doesn't, if my arms were longer, you know, we could <laughs> we could show people exactly how different that is. And I'm just, the sense of place, in a country you can leave is so spot on. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the desert, you know, and I like to go to the desert just to blow out the cobwebs and stare at the sky. And you can't really, you know, take anything too seriously when you're in the desert. To think of these kids, though, and mama's on the run a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they move from place to place. Things don't work out. Men don't work out. Jobs don't work. And here they are rolling up to the oasis. <laughs> Mm-hmm. in the desert and Lara's kind of looking at her mom and her mom's kind of looking at her and they just from minute one we know that this is not a conventional coming of age and yet it really sits firmly in that kind of tradition of the kid well leading with her chin <laughs> That's what she's not going to take the easy route she's not where did these women come from it's it's funny because I um I you know I love Yevgenia who is Lara's mm-hmm. mother and yep. I um and it's so hard for me not to spend it was hard for me not to spend all of my writing space and time um thinking about her writing about her in fact I have yeah. like drafts upon drafts with her just her mm-hmm. um, but um she came from you know definitely parts of people that I know and places within myself that I'll, I'll say this places within myself that I, um, value, but perhaps don't let out very much. Because so, you know, it's not socially acceptable. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, yeah. Um, but I will say that she definitely came from a, a place that I knew pretty well. So the characters in this novel too, there's some neighbors that we meet. Mm-hmm. And a couple of Lara's classmates who I'm quite fond of, yeah. Julia and Charles, who mm-hmm. are really, they're great. They're who they are. I mean, they're just both handfuls in their own way. And there's a party that Lara and Charles go to. <laughs> it just goes off the rails. It just goes completely off the rails because they're basically sweet kids who are just completely out of their league. And they have these ideas of what they should do to get out and, and how they can get out. and you know, I'm going to let readers enjoy the ride, but I, I'm very fond of these kids. So let's talk about structure and setup for a second, because you just said a minute ago, you weren't going to publish this. You were just writing. So 
let's sit for a second mm-hmm. with that idea because not many people say that. You know, I come from my background is really, uh, you know, academic in mm-hmm. orientation, even though I'm, uh, you know, I'm trained in anthropology, women's and gender studies, black studies, all, you know, ethnic studies, all of that, even though I love and value um, my biggest, you know, formation education came from novels and fiction. Um, it's not something that, you know, academia in this proper venue, um, they don't respect it, right? I think I've had colleagues say to me, oh, it must be really easy to write a novel. You're like, no, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you try it. I was pretty convinced that I was alone in, on this journey. And, um, and so I really just needed Yevgenia, Lara, Charles, Julie, Crystal to, to, to keep me company. Um, And so, um, but the more I wrote, the more I was completely obsessed with their lives, um, Mm -hmm. really, really in it, um, thought about them all the time. They would talk to me. They, they, I joke and say that they taught, they, they were the ones who really just, I would like force people to, to say something on the page and they'd be like, no way. Girl, this is not how we this is what we want to say. You need to change. Yeah. When I finally got it done, I was like, okay, let me see. I don't know. Um, I kept had one agent for my first book, um, and I sent it out to, to her and wasn't too sure how people felt about it. And right. anyway, so long long story short, it's here. It's it's coming out in a matter of weeks. So I'm both nervous and um, thrilled that it's off my plate. But um, Charles has been staying with me. So he's like part of a next project, which is like completely um, bizarre. But um, but yeah, they these characters haven't left me fully yet. So did you have Mama's voice first? Did you have Evgenia's voice first? Or did you have Lara's? I'm just trying to do the math. So I, you know, it's, Yevgenia started as a completely separate project. Um, um, I was kind of dabbling. I, I, it, part of what I was doing in Hong Kong was like trying to seek community. I needed, wanted friends. So I was like, oh, I'm going to take these writing workshops and Mm -hmm. how it goes. Um, And um, so Yevgenia grew out of something entirely different. And then Lara was a character and is something else that I was um, working on that was, um, and I realized that that neither one of them worked, but they worked together. Um, yeah. And it made sense because I think I, Yevgenia really, um, and Lara definitely, they do go together. Like they really are part of, if not to be autobiographical, but it is part of my experience. They do go together. I was yeah. trying to keep them in totally separate rooms. Um, and they just, yeah. So they, so I would say probably Yevgenia's voice came first, mm-hmm. which is part of, I wanted to go back to something that you said about um, the sort of coming of age story. Like there's right. a part of me that feels like though it's a coming of age story in the sense that Laura is coming of age, she's coming into her own. She's sort of figuring out the world. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we understand, I think, I hope is that Yevgenia also is sort of coming of age too. I think that that's not necessarily common, but it's an important part to understand sort of an immigrant coming of age story that it can happen I mean, all coming of ages can happen at any time in our lives, right? And sometimes we have multiple 
multiple coming of ages, if we, if you will. So felt like, you know, they both had something to contribute to that particular genre. Well, especially too, when you see how Evgenia goes back constantly to this is what she reads for comfort, but she'll read the same book in multiple language, which I, that detail I love. She'll read sometimes in Spanish, sometimes in Italian, sometimes in the Russian. It seems like she's not a big fan of English translations, though. She's kind of like, yeah, whatever. Uh, but she does, she keeps grounding herself in what she knew before. Mm-hmm. And when she's trying to talk to her kid about what she thinks her 16-year-old kid needs to know, it's not just an immigrant parent talking to her teenage child. It's, am I your peer? How do we fit? I mean, I'm your mother and you should be listening to me, but I don't really want to be your mother. I mean, there's always that undercurrent of, I didn't ask for this. You're here. I'm doing the best I can. I mean, she's had a series of terrible jobs. She's had a series of terrible partners and boyfriends or whatever you want to call them. I mean, she's not had an easy go of things and she knows it. Yeah, she knows it and she sort of relishes in it too, right? I mean, she's, um, you know, she's a woman who can't be contained in a lot of ways and and sort of defies all sort of boxes that one might put her in, including, you know, the maternal box, if you will. And so I think that she's, um, I hate saying if you will, but whatever. Um, she, um, but what what was nice about her was that she, unlike other characters, including other characters in the book, she is so wholly committed to her freedom that, um, and her way of being in the world that, um, that she's, she, that's part of the reason why she was so refreshing to be, to, to write and see the world through her, her particular perspective, because she just, she's caring in certain ways, but also a hot mess in others and also really loving. I mean, it's, yeah. Um, but I think that um, what was important for me, too, was that um, I didn't mind, and I think it's sort of true, that the, the ambivalence of, of being a mother, of being a parent, um, and she sort of approaches her life in that way, or her, her relationship with her daughter in that way, they're both ambivalent about each other. Um, they don't quite know what to make of each other, except for when they're incredibly pissed off and angry at each other. The the point about the reading and the reading in multiple languages, mm-hmm. one of the things that I, um, it was really, really important for me was to think about, and I think Evgenia says something to this effect in mm-hmm. the book that, you know, especially people who come, who are deemed as having limited power, limited access, um, you know, living in precarity, poor, however you want to put it, that, um, that people have rich inner lives. And I don't think that we, we get to that too much, um, in our kind of broader culture, you know? Um, and so for me, it was really important to, to show that even so someone like Charles, who is Lara's best friend, he's, you know, he's driven by his ambition Um, he's incredibly ambitious and kind of doesn't want to see the limitations in front of him. Right. Right. Um, And Laura's all about limitations, right? She only sees limitations. So that to me was a little, I liked putting them together and then, um, and then they have, there are all these other places where they clash, um, for a variety of different reasons. You know, but the thing about mom 
we make so much space in literature and movies and just culture and society for bad dads and for dads to disappear and for dads who are not interested in parenting or emotionally connected. We just, I mean, I think it's fair to say that we make a lot of excuses. Mm-hmm. And yet for women, that's kind of the final, like, that's the final insult. What do you mean you don't want to be a mother? What do you mean this is not second nature? What do you mean this isn't the only thing you think of in the morning and the last thing you think of at night? She's exactly, Evgenia is exactly that way. She tells you exactly who she is. Mm-hmm. She knows. She knows she's messy. She knows whatever. I mean, she's not lying to anyone. No. I, and that's the thing that's so that was nice about her is that she's you know, there's just no shame, right? Like, so Lara is all, I think Yevgenia calls her like, uh, you know, some kind of Victorian or Puritan or something to that effect. And, and she is, I mean, to be 16 and to live with all of those constraints is like exhausting. Right. And, um, but I think for Yevgenia, she's like, look, you know, this is it. And I think there's sort of a, for lack of a better word, a sort of Russian realness there. (laughs) That is like, you know, part and parcel to who she is. Um, but I think, you know, in terms of thinking about, you know, the mothering aspect and how culture is like, it's weird because we don't, I, and I don't mean to make this too like pedantic or whatever, but, you know, from a class perspective, women who have um, disposable income can be as free as they want to be. But Absolutely. women like, if you're a woman who does not have disposable income and she's a single mother, so like, you know, she's got like this added burden, she refuses all of it. Like she is going to be who she is, you know, doesn't matter if, if people say that she's a a terrible mother and in some ways she's not right. Because Mm -hmm. the one thing she is, is like 100% honest. Um, Even when it's like a very harsh sort of honesty. Um, but when I was early in the early days, when I would workshop these pieces, people mm-hmm. would be like, oh gosh, she's so terrible. She's so this, she's so no. that. No. You know? no. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was sort of, it was disheartening because, you know, she's complicated. We're all complicated, yeah. you know? but some of us have a little bit more, like we, we live our lives with stronger filters or you know, denser filters, maybe. I think also she just never needed to have filters. I mean, the way they're living, there's a scene where they're leaving her relationship in Mexico. Yeah. And Lara really wants to stay. And her mother's like, no, 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 we're done. We're done. This is all over. Like, we're just going. And Lara's looking at her going, wait, I want to go to school. I want to live here. This is a nice house. This is a nice man. I want to stay. And her mother's like, yeah, you know nothing. We're getting in the cab. We're going. And she's never really put herself in a situation where she was forced to do that very polite, you know, head nodding. Yeah, 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 we'll get through. I mean, she forgets to show up with vaccination records for her kid and then forges them. And she's just kind of like, all right, fine, I'll do what you need me to do so you can be somewhere. But I'm not interested in rules. Yeah. And I, you know, again, I think it kind of goes back to the fact that we judge women a little more harshly when they're living like that. As opposed to, well, if it were a dude, you'd be like, well, he can't even make macaroni and cheese in the microwave. And it's like, well, she should be able to keep the house clean and feed her kid and have a job and da da da. Like the, the list goes on and on. And she's just like, no, I read my books. I smoke my cigarettes. I drink. I go to work. I raise my kid, but she doesn't always listen. And if she would just listen, her life would be easier. <laughs> I mean, right, right. Like I have my set of rules that she needs to follow. 
that are completely unconventional in terms of thinking about like, don't date men who talk too much or wear, you know, gel in their hair or whatever her rules are, which are different than, you know, come home at 10 or, you know, be sure to, you know, tell people where you are, you know, whatever. She's just not interested in that. She's, she sort of trusts Lara in a way that parents don't typically trust. Yeah. Lara has some moments too with her mother where she's like, yeah, I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask for this. I'll let you know when I'm ready to do it, (laughs) which for a 16 year old and you know, the situation I'm referring to specifically, and we're staying spoiler free in this conversation. So we're not going to ruin it here, but I just laughed. I was like, that's a 16 year old who, because she's surrounded by chaos. Yeah, I get it. She wants to be a little bit of a Victorian. She wants to be a little locked down because that's the only control she has. Right. Her mother is a chaos machine and not, Simply to be a chaos machine, her mother doesn't have the tools that her mother thinks she does. And some of those rules, though, are hysterical, especially like the gelled hair and whatnot, because, you know, we all have our own little like, oh, don't cross that line. That is, that's the line I won't cross because that means something I'm not prepared to accept. And I mean, I thought those little rules from her notebooks were very funny. <laughs> I, just, I kept laughing. I was like, yep, I can totally see her saying, you know, dragging on the cigarette with her cheap vodka and I can just, yep, scribbling away in those notebooks that followed them everywhere. Yeah. The only real permanence that in the suitcase that that they go in. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Can we talk about some of your literary inspirations? Because I feel like I've got some of them, but I don't want to just spit them out, but let's talk about some of the writers who helped make you the writer you are. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, this is such a tough question because I, um, I'm i a kid who really, I mean, I literally, I grew up in the library. Mm-hmm. And I, um, reading and books were my companion. So, mm-hmm. um, and I also grew up much like Laura with a sort of very set of strict things about what I could read. So, for example, I think um, right now I'll say that uh, Clarice, Clarice Lispector, I'm looking over because that's where yeah. the books are. I'm now reading The Hour of the Sun, um, which I am loving. And then um, I have other kind of like, you know, I mean, then there are books that are that stay with me that um, that I just like love, 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 adore, adore, adore. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be, there's Brayton Breitenbach has this, um, this memoir. Um, I think it's the second volume and it's the true confessions of an albino terrorist. Um, he's a South African writer and it's about his perspective from the time that he was um, held in prison for his um, anti-apartheid activities. Um, it's a beautiful book because it both sort of bridges poetry and and, you know, inner narrative. Then um, there's Alice Walker has The Temple of My Familiar, which is an incredible book. But my my literary inspirations, I think, are kind of all over the place. So I have, um, you know, James Baldwin for nonfiction, and then A Country You Can Leave, which is, excuse me, um, Another Country, which is like, you know, the novel that sort of also helped anchor me with this novel. Yeah. And then, you know, there's the, um, the trilogy that, um, that I think I might refer to in this, in this book. Um, I have like Aldo Marini, who is an Italian poet. Um, my tastes are sort of all over the map. Tolstoy's, uh, 
uh, early, his first collection, uh, his first trilogy that he wrote, I, I actually wanted to try to model this um, on that, but then it just became too unwieldy and, right. and I wasn't going to, because um, I was sort of thinking, well, what would it look like to have a Black working class or poor young woman sort of reframe this idea of like childhood youth and you know like his first his first sort of collection of of books where yeah yeah I do know what you're talking about and all of a sudden I just thought wait does this mean you're working on a sequel I think Lara ultimately is going to have a really interesting life and I don't know what that means you know, we know what happens to the other kids, right? I mean, here's Julie, comfortable as all get out, driving her fancy car and everything else. And she's like, yeah, I'm not a student. I cannot wait to be done. Like, I, you can't make me. And here's Charles, who, you know, I think the world is not fully prepared for Charles, but Charles is ready to hit the world. And that's going to be exciting to see. But part of me, I mean, one, I'm very fond of Lara. And yes, I'm talking about a fictional character, like she's just down the street, but whatever. But she has a little bit of an old soul, and yet she is such a 16-year-old, and she just doesn't, I mean, here's this kid who just doesn't have anyone really to model herself on because her mother is just who she is. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think mom is a great character. Mm -hmm. I think she's just really honest and really, you know, clear about who she is. And how she's hoping to help her kid, and her kid doesn't see it that way. Her kid's just like, you're a weirdo. You're such a weirdo. I don't know what to do with you. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I think Lara could have a really interesting life. <laughs> we'll see. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> but I want to go back to your first book for a second, because mm -hmm. it's nonfiction. Mm -hmm. It is very intense. Mm -hmm. It is Sitting next to a country you can leave, I would not have expected the person who wrote A Strange Trade to have written this particular, I mean, there's a little bit of a larger geopolitical world happening in a country you can leave, but at the same time, can we talk about that first? Because also your day job is very intense. Your areas of study are very intense and really again like i can see hints of them in this book but how did the two connect how did you do it so the first book um strange trade which is narrative nonfiction, is a book about um women that i worked with who were trafficking drugs kind of all over the world but i met them in italian prison mm -hmm. um, and did many many just years of research um and a lot of yeah you know i'm a trained anthropologist. So I did this ethnography working in the prisons and just sort of figuring out their lives. I, um, that piece came from the fact that my father also, uh, was a drug trafficker in mm -hmm. California, um, um, and also went to prison. So I, um, but I never knew my father much right. like never, mm -hmm. never knew my dad. Yeah. So I think that my interest in sort of the field of, you know, uh, carceral studies or or criminal the criminal legal system comes from my own personal experience having grown up being a child whose parents um spent time my mother spent time in jail my dad was in prison 
Um, and so then I, when I had the opportunity to look at these things more broadly, then I went elsewhere to see what those systems were like. And I've spent, you know, a lot of my professional life um, looking at the global carceral system um, uh, to see, you know, how things are done, what can be done different. Mm-hmm at all. There's that. Um, I have a, a also a special, a special interest also in, you know, drug trafficking too. But I think, and I think some of that, that kind of um, drug fugitive, that life kind mm-hmm. of comes into, it come, filters through the oasis um, in a way that I think is pretty common um, actually. And so that, that becomes part of the, the, the narrative um, in the novel, but um, but I decided to kind of stay away from that since I've already written about it. Yeah, but that description you used earlier, fugitive community, I mean, it's so good. And it's so, like, even Charles's aunt, who has raised him yeah. from childhood <laughs> in her velour sweatsuit watching her Korean dramas yeah. with the sound all the way up and the subtitles because she doesn't speak Korean but needs to listen at full blast. Okay. It seems like all of these people may have had options at one point. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm going to take Charles out of that. We're going to take Lara out of it because mm-hmm. Lara, Lara could end up doing some stuff. But even Julie, who could technically have options, does not. Yeah. Because she doesn't want them. She just kind of wants to hang out and be left alone and go shoplift. That's really kind of all she wants to do. Mm-hmm. And the adults are either stuck just on the survival level Mm -hmm. or they've made it out. Like Julie's parents are fine. They're fine. They they live in their gated community. They're fine. Mm -hmm. There's, there's nothing. But Charles is on is just like, yeah, this is my life. Yeah. And um, I will say my sister and I were joking about this because my grandmother actually, that is like a scene straight from (laughs) my experience because my grandmother, that's my grandmother. Right. So um yeah so I'm glad that you I hope that she's right yeah she's totally great and you know she's doing the best she can I she does have a couple of moments where she says some stuff Mm -hmm. the adults in this book frequently say some stuff where you're like oh yeah okay yeah remember people I mean people think that it's just who they are and and I do appreciate how organic all of that is because I mean there is a danger too when you're working with stories about class and race and identity sometimes we slip sometimes you know we're trying to make more of a point than let the characters be who they are and I mean one of the things I really enjoyed while I was reading A Country You Could Leave is the fact that these people felt very real to me Mm -hmm. and occasionally irritating I'm not going to pretend there weren't times where I was like you know as much as I like Evgenia there were times where I was like, oh, Lord, I'm so glad you're not my mother. Mm-hmm. I am so glad, fictional character, you are not my mother because you are tiresome. Um, yeah. And then two seconds later, she just do something. And you're like, yep, yep. No wonder your kid has whiplash. No wonder your kid is mm-hmm. a 90-year-old, 16-year-old. Right, right. It's funny. I, I felt that way kind of also about Lara because I, mm-hmm. I mean, the the – the people that in the novel that I find to be for me kind of um, like the space of that, that held me the most actually yeah. um, 
or, or the, the support, the supports around Laura and Yevgenia, because, mm-hmm. um, and I do think that it's not a mannered book, right? Like it just, no. there's, there, yeah. it's not a book of manners and, and people are truly who they are. And I yep. honestly, I have to say that when I was writing, there is sometimes when I like had to shut, you know, Yevgenia down the mm-hmm. sense you know, I mean, it wasn't pleasant, but it also, but I also thought um, somebody called it like grit realism or something. I don't know what these. Oh, gritlet. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm like, I don't know if I, I don't appreciate, I mean, whatever. I appreciate anyone who reads this. So thank you. But, but I don't know if I would call it that, but, um, but I get, I get the, the sort of lean in that direction i i understand but but i do think that it's not a book of manners and mm. and we all have i hope you know even as you know yevgenia might have been annoyed that there might have been places where you're like oh yeah I, I i understand that sentiment or i understand um where she's coming from or i feel that too in a certain way you know i felt like i hadn't read this book before Okay. That's, that was the thing I was looking for more than anything. Cause I mean, and I'm using coming of age very loosely. I mean, again, like you can have a coming of age story and someone's 70 and they're finally getting a clue. Like I, but as a shorthand, it's helpful in some ways um, because it's also something to push against, right? Like you can have a million different kinds. Actually, I'm looking at the book of goose over my shoulder and I'm like, (laughs) that's a wild, wild, wild story of adolescence. To me, to be able to deconstruct, you know, sort of what's put out there in the world as a coming of age, like I can just, you know, why can't it be a coming of age and an immigrant story and a class? Like, why can't it just be all of the things? Why can't it just be these characters that I don't want to leave? And yet Gritlet is, I know people like to use it. I personally, it doesn't, it's a shorthand that's not particularly useful for me. What's more important to me is this world that you've built Mm -hmm. and how you keep sort of chipping away and everyone's expectations and everyone like Charles ends up having a very nice relationship about books with Evgenia. And I was not fully expecting that, but it makes perfect sense that they're the ones that would gravitate to each other because he knows that books are a way out. And yet books were not necessarily a way out for her. Yeah. The way she thought they would be. I mean, she clearly thought she had a big life ahead. This was not her plan. No. The trailer park was not her plan. The the running from multiple men may be part of the plan, but higher quality men than some of the men she's running. You know, I think she's a woman who, Yevgenia is a woman whose schemes just didn't quite land her in the places that she thought they would. And Laura is sort of, on, on the one hand, kind of along for the ride, as sometimes kids are. Um, parents are sort of, um, you know kind of just floating through the world without, without an actual, you know, kind of living their life, their best, if you will. But I do, I do think that it, Charles and Yevgenia's relationship also sort of surprised me. I didn't, I mean, at at one point when Charles is at their house and Yevgenia shows up and Laura's like, oh no, my cover is going to be blown. Um, It's, uh, I realized that I couldn't keep them apart anymore. (laughs) Because the two of them, because Charles is a schemer in a different sort of way, right? I mean, yep. he's he's someone who has big hopes and dreams that may actually come true, 
mm-hmm. um, in a way that Yevgenia just couldn't. And I think in part um, that plays to this idea of like the different ways we think about power, like how is power sort of delineated mm-hmm. even among people who are don't seem to have power, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it means something that Yevgenia comes to the U.S. as a single young woman who, at least these are all the back pages that didn't get in the book, who didn't speak English very well, who, you know, spoke English enough, but having lived in Italy and, you know, before and um, came without a network, came without, you know, friends and family, um, all of that means that she's she's had to start um, at a very different place than, say, Charles is. You know, he's he gets in this particular moment, though he's queer and he's black, he definitely, um, he has, he has people who believe in him. Like if any, if anyone's going to make it out, it's going to be Charles. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I hope he doesn't decide to pick up a British accent again, because I was just like, oh, kid. Oh, kid. (laughs) Oh, kid. You've been watching too much television. I just, that whole thing, you know, anyway, I think readers are going to be really tickled when they see that because he just he opened and you're like okay kid that's your choice okay rock on here we go (laughs) and don't forget to take your shoes off (laughs) no there are some really I mean I have to say it's important to remember that there are genuine moments of joy and connection and I think the connection piece is hard for a lot of your characters because none of them wants to be vulnerable I mean, not even Julie, who's like, I am not the sharpest tool in the shed. I just want to live my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but none of them wants to be vulnerable. None of them wants to be really genuinely intimate with another person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's because, um, you know, definitely, you know, the subtext and all of that is that they've been, all of them have been hurt in different ways. Um, and people have just, I mean, and I think this is true. Um, you know, when you get to, when you live in a particular sort of frame on a, on the edge, you know, you've been disappointed Mm -hmm. often by parents or by the state, by the schools. Um, and so, you know, that level of, of, um, vulnerability that isn't, that nobody really wants to display Mm -hmm. Um, at certain points they do come out, but, um, not without a fight, not without a fight. And it doesn't seem like it brings relief. Yeah. To those characters when it's happening. In some ways, they're ill-equipped. And in other ways, they know how to survive in ways the rest of us don't. I mean, it's just, it's a life that I think you recognize the emotional honesty and the emotional truth. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think for the majority of us to try and live like some of these characters, I think it would be really challenging. I think it would just, there's a level of intensity and a level of armor in a way where you know lots of us don't have to live that way no no we don't I mean and I think that that's the good fortune of fortune maybe I don't know I mean I think their form of vulnerability may in fact be things that we don't easily recognize right like I think about this scene between Charles and Crystal and and Laura and they're all sort of you know Laura and Charles are sort of you know dissing each other for a lack of better word just really laying into each other but it's a form of play and it's a form of 
of joy and a form of love too, because they can say things to each other without meaning them, but also meaning them and also having that reflect back to themselves. And then Crystal is someone who is incredibly, you know, at the moment, incredibly vulnerable. Yeah. They can't seem to, you know, enter into this, this space. Um, but she needs care. And then, then she eventually gets it right. And in a certain weird sort of way, I think that it did teach me a lot to about like, you know, different edges of, of, you know, society and, and culture and how we, uh, how we sort of manage, um, disappointments. Um, and when you've been disappointed for that long in your life, how, what kind of people are you, what do you become? Can I ask what's next? Are you working on the next? Are you working on the next thing now? Yeah, I'm actually working on. Um, so I have the next piece is um, it's a narrative. It's narrative nonfiction. It's an essay collection that sort of takes some of these themes a little bit, mm-hmm. sending them out um, more broadly. It's sort of a cultural history um, about uh, intimate uh, relationships. Uh, there's a chapter on white mothers, for example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, But looking at the whole frame, you know, that's actually supposed to be coming out sometime next year, I think, in 2024. Um, And then I've got uh, two novels on deck. And one, like I mentioned, is is really centered on Charles and his his aunt, um, which is sort of a I'm excited about it because it's definitely it it plays to all the humorous aspects that I had to tamp down with that didn't exist between mm-hmm. another. Um, but it's an intergenerational story that addresses issues of gentrification and and failed ambition. And so I really, really, I mean, I'm looking forward to the essay collection. Please don't misunderstand me, but that not I really want to read that novel. I really, 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 I just feel like Auntie has some stuff going on that we do not know about. And Charles wouldn't be Charles if he didn't have a very special backstory. And sometimes special backstories can also just be wildly ordinary, but you get a kid like him out of it. So that's why I'm sort of, my eyes are getting big. I'm getting very excited about this idea because he is, he is that kid. And you know, when he finally gets into his Basquiat t-shirt, you're like, oh, oh, kid, you'll be fine. Okay. Because I had a moment with the outfits and the accents and everything else. And I was like, oh, is he going to be that kid? He's not that kid. He's super not that kid. (laughs) (laughs) I just, you know, I hope people understand, too, that a country you can leave. It's just a really special book. It's a really special book. And the characters, I again, I haven't seen characters like this. You don't get a lot of 90-year-old, 16-year-olds. You just don't. And mom and everything else. It's just, there's there's some stuff that happens in a country you can leave that's pretty great. Um, it was a lot of fun you. to read. <laughs> well, thank you so much for, um, thanks for reading it and thanks for having me on. I really, really appreciate it. I, and I, you know, like I said, I'm a listener, so I'm totally thrilled. <laughs> that's, you know, honestly, I'm so happy to know that we can connect with people when we do this kind of thing. Because sometimes it's weird talking into the Zoom screen and you're like, all right. I guess it's working. <laughs> Asali Angel Ajani, thank you so much for joining us on Poured Over. A Country You Can Leave is out now. And I really, really, really cannot wait for listeners to meet Lara and her mom and the whole gang. Thanks again. Thank you, thank you so much. 
Hello readers, it's time for another TBR Top Off. We're going to recommend a couple of books to pick up when you stop in for your copy of A Country You Can Leave. I'm Mark, I'm coming to you from my Barnes & Noble in Cincinnati, and I'm joined by one of my favorite book buddies, Madison, in her brand new store. Hello, Madison. Hello, I am now joining you from my store in Los Angeles, but all love to Indianapolis. Absolutely. So we've got a couple of great books to talk about. I'm going to jump right in with a title that's been circulating in my mind for a while. It's stuck in my head uh, ever since I've closed the book a few months back. And it is I Will Die in a Foreign Land by Kalani Pickard. Ooh, this book. It follows four characters during 2014's Ukrainian Revolution. And the ways that these characters' lives are altered by the Euromaidan protests as well as how their stories braid together is just, it's a feat. I really think this is a special title that a lot of people should be jumping into. The story is buoyed, of course, by Pickard's prose. Um, it is lovely. It is so interesting because she uses folklore. She includes music lyrics, articles, and she also uses this version of like a Greek chorus setup called the Kabzari, which is sort of like a collective voice that encompasses a community. The way that she uses all of these elements just carry the story along so beautifully. It is a powerful book that will stomp all over your heart and also stop on your perception of a nation's past. But it's also an important novel that will open eyes and minds and hearts. So please pick up I Will Die in a Foreign Land by Kalani Pickart. Madison, what do you have for us? So I have another one that is heavy in prose and beautifully written in prose. It is One on Earth We're Briefly Gorgeous by Ocean Wong. And I love this novel because one, it is a letter written by a son to his mother who cannot read. And I think what I love about the letter format is we're often told that when you can write everything down in a letter when you don't know what to say. And sometimes that's just like a weight off your chest, which is kind of what I feel like this book itself is. It's little dog writing to his mother about a bunch of different experiences. You get a glimpse into her own rough past when she was in Vietnam. You get a glimpse into his life where he's struggling with class, race, masculinity, everything he's dealing with. It's such a heavy, haunting novel, but it's also just so tender. And you can just feel the love this son has for his mother, even though at some points it may seem strained. And I think that is just the beautifulness of the writing is giving a voice to a person who doesn't really have one. And you're witnessing their beautiful story unfold in front of you, which is why I think it is a perfect choice to pair with this week's book. Absolutely. I think Ocean Vuong is such a gentle presence in his life and in his writing, but just speaks so many volumes. It's so quietly loud and gently harsh. It's glorious. Nice pick, as usual. Ah, well, that is all we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to Port Over. Make sure to give us a rating and please subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can also follow us on our socials at Barnes & Noble. Pretty simple. You can follow my own home store at BN Westchester. I'm Mark. And you can follow my home store at BN Events Grove. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Happy reading. Bye. Happy reading. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Poured Over is a Barnes & Noble production. 
help other readers find us, please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts.